All right, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Sarah McAnulty. I run the Skype Scientist program. And um, today we are theoretically going to be talking about uh, Triceratops. Um, but our scientist is not here yet, so I'm just going to go over some housekeeping stuff uh, in the meantime. So, um, first things first, we don't want to go forward with any science communication. Um, content whatsoever this week without addressing what uh, is going on and has been going on um, for years in our country with the violence against Black people. Uh, there's a couple things we'd like uh, to draw your attention to. So on Instagram and Twitter, there are um, there's an account that we think you all should be following. It's called Black AF in STEM. It's co-founded by one of Skype Scientist's board of director members, uh, Corinne Newsom, who is just the best. Um, along with all of the other people who are working on that project with her. So um, check that out on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, also, there's been a lot of really wonderful press around what Karina and others have been putting together this week called Black Birders Week. Today is the last day of Black Birders Week. Um, and so we hope you check that out. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on about uh, Black scientists sharing their, um, their experiences working uh, in STEM. Um, the other uh, thing that you should be aware of uh, is that you should be considering how to donate to social justice organizations this week. The National Bail Fund is a great choice. Uh, but there are a lot of other uh, really cool organizations doing good work, including Black AF and STEM. They're going to be going forward with a lot of uh, good stuff in the future, and so they could also use your support. Um, the next thing that I just recently learned about this week is called Campaign Zero. They're a group that is... Um, focused on looking at uh, basically like what works data backed um, in terms of uh, police brutality. Um, they have done a lot of research and, and looked at a lot of the, the existing research on what of these things that we all think may work. Like for example, you may have heard about body cameras being put into, into place in a lot of places. Um, and it turns out that uh, even though it changes the attitude sometimes along with um, with training of police officers, that actually it doesn't really change the number of black people that are killed in that precinct. And so um, while it's, it's good to change attitudes, it's not really enough. And so uh, they're looking at things that actually do affect change in these places. And one of the things that does is reforming uh, police unions. So anyway, check out Campaign Zero. They've got a lot more than that uh, to discuss. And so we hope you check that out. The next thing um, is that you can read some books. There's um, some books for adults that, that I personally can recommend. One being How to Be an Anti-Racist. It is informative, but also just like a great read. Like it's a page turner in my opinion. And uh, so you want to talk about race. It's also phenomenal. So much great information um, that you can use to arm yourself to be a better ally if you are not uh, a black person yourself. Um, for teenagers, I can personally recommend The Hate You Give and On the Come Up by the same author, Angie Thomas. Uh, these books are, are narratives. They're, they're teen novels and they are great. They're um, basically the more we can uh, expose ourselves to the stories of, of Black people, the better we can. These are both fiction, of course, uh, but they're phenomenal and would really recommend them to any teenagers uh, or preteens that you have at home. Um, but if you have any questions about the Skype a Scientist program broadly, I'm happy to answer those now. If you have any questions about Squid, uh, I can answer those too. I know that's not what you came here for today, uh, but we can do that. Um, also, additionally, we are, um, this month from June 1st to 19th, 
partnered with a group called Noble Step. They're a group that specifically uh, is a professional society for queer scientists. And so um, they're partnered with us putting out only queer scientists featured uh, content from, for the first three weeks of June. Hello, hello. Yeah, sorry, I've had major technical issues all morning. So I've just been trying oh, to figure that out. So uh, I'm Sophia Kajun. And right now I'm an undergrad at Montana State University. And I am doing a work study and at the Museum of the Rockies, which is, um, it has like a ton of different museum things, a lot of history, but the, their main thing is dinosaurs. And right now I'm studying Triceratops, specifically uh, a certain specimen that's like a juvenile Triceratops. It's one of the smallest Triceratops specimens ever found. And so a lot of what I'm doing is, learn kind of figuring out how do I explain this <laughs> figuring out um how triceratops developed throughout growth um figuring out like how they are related uh in like a family tree to other chasmosaurians which are the um genus I guess of dinosaur that they're in and so right, right now I've just been working on that research and yeah I've wanted to be a paleontologist since I was really really young so this is kind of like a dream come true for me and yeah I'm really happy to be with you guys here today to answer any questions. Awesome thank you so the first question we have is how did you get to be involved in research so early like uh, what was your path to going from a kid who thought dinosaurs were awesome and wanted to be a paleontologist to where you are right now? So when I was still in high school, I lived in Living I live in Livingston, which is just across. It's a few minutes from Bozeman where the museum is. So I really wanted to become involved in the museum. So I just went straight to the top and I emailed uh, the direct the curator of paleontology there, uh, Dr. John Scanella, who also works on Triceratops. And I literally just emailed him and I went, hi. I'm Sophie. I would love to become more involved in paleontology at the museum. Uh, what can I do to take those like first steps on my way to becoming a researcher? And he helped me get set up as a volunteer there. So I worked for about a year and a half volunteering uh, in the Seibel Dinosaur Complex. And there I would like talk to people who came into the museum and I would answer their questions about the huge displays. We have like a huge Triceratops display, a huge T-Rex display, all these things. And so I would just answer their questions, teach them more. And so I did that again for about a year. And then when I finally decided to go to college at MSU, I had the opportunity to do a work study under uh, Amy Atwater, who is the collections manager of paleontology. So for a long time, for what I've been doing for the past year is working with her in the collections, which is where we have all of the fossils. We have the largest collection of Triceratops, I think in the world. And um, through her, I like learned more about uh, fossil preparation, um, measuring fossils, uh, cataloging them so that we know where they are in the museum. And through her, I went back and worked with Dr. John Scanella, who I originally had emailed. And now me and him are working on a research paper on the little baby triceratops that we have. So, yeah. That's awesome. So how many years have you been working with the museum now? I, well, I volunteered my, I think my junior and senior year of high school. And then I've just been doing the research and the work study this past year. So I'm still like early on in the game, but yeah, so fun. 
Very cool. Um, so our next question is, why do you think Triceratops are so cool and worth studying? Well, again, we have the largest collection of Triceratops in the world at the museum. But uh, even though Triceratops is one of the most common dinosaurs that we find, we find so many in the Hell Creek Formation, which is in eastern Montana, uh, South Dakota, that whole area. Um, we have found relatively few that are like baby specimens or juvenile specimens. And um, especially at the level that the size of the skull that I'm working on is, I think this, it's either the second smallest skull or one of the very smallest. Um, so we have not, we d really don't know that much about their early life and their early development. We, we've never found a Triceratops egg. We don't know if their horns were there when they were born or if they were attached when they were born. So um, what I'm really trying to do is kind of gain a better understanding of exactly what's going on right after a Triceratops is hatched and is starting to develop into, you know, the classic huge frill, huge, huge horns, right? That developmental stage. That's awesome. So, okay, how big is a baby Ceratops? Like when they first hatch ballpark, how big are we talking? Oh man, see, that's one of those questions that we're trying to answer. Um, the smallest skull we've ever found is, it's at the uh, university, or wait, it's in, I think it's in Berkeley, and it's about that big, that's the size of the skull, and we think that it could have been even smaller right when it first hatched. Um, the one that I'm studying is about that big, the skull is. So, I mean, they weren't tiny, tiny, but compared to the multi-ton adult that they eventually grew into, they were very small, yeah. That's so cool. Uh, Stephanie would like to know, how many species of dinosaurs have we discovered? Ooh, so that's a really good question. Um, it's hard to say exactly because a lot of times, uh, especially like a hundred years ago, say, people would discover a dinosaur and give it their name. And then another person would discover the same dinosaur, but think it was a different one and give it their own name. So we're still kind of sifting through all the dinosaur species that we know of um, to see if there are any overlaps. Because often you don't find an entire skeleton, you might just find like a few bones. And so it's really hard to say sometimes what is a new species and what's not. So, but our ballpark estimate is between 700 and 900 species of dinosaur. That's at least the last that I know of. I could be incorrect, but yeah. Awesome, thank you. Um, Grant would like to know, actually Grayson, age nine, would like to know, um, how many individual Triceratops have you studied? I've just studied so far this one baby, um, but in, like, as I research this one baby one, I have to go into, like, other sizes, other ages of Triceratops to compare. So while my main focus is on this one specimen, I also, like, go and look at all sorts of specimens of various ages. Um, some of them are different species. And sometimes I go into a completely different species that's not even a Triceratops, but it is a horned dinosaur, so that I can compare uh, you know, how they grew. Because for some other species of Chasmosaurian, which is what a Triceratops is, um, you, they do have smaller babies that are known. So I can kind of compare and like fill in the blanks sometimes. Very cool. So let's say you find a dinosaur bone. Like, how do you know what dinosaur it goes to? Oh, that's, <laughs> it can be really hard sometimes. Like, again, um, 
with there are like lots of species that have been incorrectly cataloged and stuff just because people didn't know what they were but often it's just from studying the same dinosaur for like years or just get really starting to know your way around anatomy because one thing if you ever want to become a paleontologist um, anatomy is super important because I mean there's a bone let's see there's a bone called the, like the jugal in a triceratops it's kind of the cheekbone and it's the strangest looking bone but by now I've looked at it so many times that I could see a jugal lying in the middle of the you know in the middle of the badlands and be like that is a triceratops jugal so a lot of it is like knowledge of anatomy and then also just looking at it over and over until you really know what it is. Yeah. Very cool. Um, all right. The next question is what is this from Max, age five? Uh, what is the largest ceratopsian? Oh, that is a good question. I'm actually not sure. Um, they do get really big. Even triceratops is, you know, it ends up being several tons. Um, much like as big as a school bus sometimes. So, but I don't know. I'll definitely have to look that up. Sounds good. But thank you for well, your question. How many I different wish I... uh, kinds of ceratopsian are there? Ballpark. Um, I don't, I, again, I don't really know, so, but um, because part of it is that there are, like, you can go to the species level or you can go even farther. So for the species triceratops, there's still or the genus or you know whatever it is there's still triceratops hortus and there's triceratops prorsus and then some people think that there are you know um eight other kinds of triceratops and so sometimes it's really hard to kind of get an exact number because you know just we don't know yet right but yeah heard from another uh paleontologist on this series that um there are kind of like two schools of thought of dinosaurs there's like the people who want to blob everything like things that are similar together and those that kind of want like every little difference is a different species yeah and so yeah that 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 question is is harder than it than it seems to someone who yeah. study uh ancient life um yeah that's that's so hard um and even if we do have an answer like of course that's not the answer for what actually existed just like the stuff we found so yeah this stuff is complicated. Um, Jonah, age seven, would like to know, uh, where's the best place for me to go and find fossils? Ooh, it depends on where you are in the world. Um, again, so the Hell Creek area, which is in Montana near where I live, is great for Cretaceous age dinosaurs and things like that. So there are, you'll find T-Rex, you'll find uh, Triceratops, Ankylosaurus, um, Pachycephalosaurus, a lot of those things. Um, and generally this like generally the this middle part of the US is often pretty good all the way from Canada to Mexico. Um, but it depends on what kind of fossil you're looking for because on the East Coast, there are lots of awesome trilobites and awesome shells. Um, and even in China, you can find there are feathered dinosaurs. Um, if However, I must say that if you're like an amateur paleontologist who wants to go look for fossils, you have to be aware that um, that the land that you're on, it's legal for you to take fossils because uh, that's it's always a very complicated thing to know where you're allowed to take fossils from because museums often have a lot more permission. Um, but if you go online, you can find a lot of places where you can go out and just search, which is yeah, and also 
a lot of museums will also take out um, special groups to go find fossils. So I highly encourage that. Awesome, thank you for that. Um, okay, let's take Triceratops off the table for just a moment. If Triceratops did not exist, what would your favorite dinosaur be? Oh, that's such a good question. It's always super hard to do. Um, there is one dinosaur that I've always loved called Therizinosaurus. And it's one of the weirdest dinosaurs. Imagine a dinosaur that is as big as a T-Rex and it has claws that are three feet long, but it eats plants. And yeah, that's like one of my favorite dinosaurs. It's also a theropod, but it's a herbivorous theropod. So yeah. Uh, that's a great dinosaur. I only learned about that dinosaur you know, like a year ago and they are the goofiest looking thing I've ever seen. They're so cool. So funny. So Tiny little head, huge silly. claws. Yeah, yeah. Arisnosaurus. Um, okay, the next question um, is from Katie. Um, I'm 10 years old. I love Triceratops. I want to be a paleontologist. What should I do now to prepare? Oh, such a good question. Um, one thing is, you know, if you ever find someone who you really look up to, like if you find a cool scientist or a paleontologist, try to reach out to them, like send them an email, send them a letter, and they might not reply, but they might, and they can, you know, help you on your journey. Uh, another thing, another great thing that I did all the time when I was your age was uh, watch documentaries. Um, not even just dinosaur documentaries, just all nature documentaries. David Attenborough has great ones. There's a lot of old documentaries like Walking with Dinosaurs that aren't completely 100% accurate anymore, but they're still really great to get into paleontology. Um, lots there, oh, reading is one of the biggest things. There are books for people of all ages who love dinosaurs. Um, so yeah, just look up books awesome people. Um, if you, when you get a little bit older and you have a museum, you can go and try and volunteer at the museum. Another thing I'll say is that I think a lot of times when I was growing up, at least, I thought that uh, scientists had some sort of like access to knowledge that I just didn't have. And that's not necessarily true. Like a lot of what I learned as a squid biologist is available in like popular science books. Maybe not to like the molecular level that I know now, but um, even if you're young, like if you're in high school or, or, or middle school, um, or even before, like there's so much knowledge available out there, especially with the internet being available. Like uh, just read about what you're interested in. Um, and so uh, there's that. If uh, you can't afford to volunteer, that doesn't mean that you can't go forward. There are a lot of programs available that will pay you to do work, even if you don't have experience. And so make sure that you're really digging into the internet to look to see what's available. If you don't find anything, there are scientists on Twitter who are available to help you. So um, go on there, figure out what kind of scientist you want to be, and then ask them, um, if they know of any programs that are available to, to pay to help you get into the field that you want to be in. So um, even though, yeah, if you can afford to volunteer, it makes things easier, to be honest. And that's an inherent problem that we have um, in science, that we allow uh, people in and people to get experience faster if they can afford to work for free. But um, just because you can't work for free does not mean that you're not going to get in. Like, persevere. Um, I was. I, I couldn't volunteer uh, 
when I was younger and I, I'm fine here. I'm here. Uh, so, you know, it's just going to take more work, which inherently sucks, but uh, you can do it. Okay. Next question for Sophia. Um, are triceratops carnivores, herbivores, or omnivores? So triceratops are herbivores. Um, but one interesting thing about them is if you look at their teeth, they have super pointy teeth that are kind of shaped like, uh, like a little pyramid. And then they have two roots. So a lot of times people think, well, a herbivore usually doesn't have such sharp teeth. So how do we know that it wasn't a carnivore? Um, but when Triceratops lived, grasses and stuff had not really started to evolve yet. So a lot of what they had to eat were um, a lot tougher, maybe like um, branches or shrubs, that kind of thing. So they actually have really sharp teeth, even though they were herbivores. Very cool. So we know that some dinosaurs had, and I forget uh, the name, Paris, Paris or all, oh geez, Paris. Oh yeah. That I always have trouble saying that too. Parasaurolophus. Uh, okay, so basically, those are those dinosaurs you probably would recognize them. They have like duck bills, and they've got the big, big horn-looking thing, like a trumpet, basically, on the back of uh, their head. And we know that that's how they make. We, we predict that that's how they made noise to like reverberate up their head to communicate. Do we know anything about Triceratops communication? Um, I don't know as much about uh, vocal communication that they would do, but uh, what we do think they had was on their giant frill, it's been hypothesized that there was actually kind of a keratin sheath. So imagine like a cow horn and then the sheath that they have or like your fingernails. So they, some people think that they would have that over their entire frill and that they had various color markings that um, allowed other triceratops to tell what age it was, or if it was a male or a female, and if it was, perhaps they could even tell individuals. So that's kind of the, that's also something that I'm researching with my baby triceratops. Um, I study the texture, like the bumpiness of the frill, and we can kind of tell if there was keratin on top of it. So that's one thing that, that's one way that we think they might've communicated. Awesome. Um, the next question uh, uh, that you, you may or not may or may not know um, is: It true that there's still a dinosaur fish in Africa? Oh, I bet you're talking about the coelacanth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, coelacanths have been around for millions of years. They were around when the dinosaurs lived, and they were for a long time. Um, even until very recently, we had only found fossils of them. And so we thought they had gone completely. A fisherman found one. So now we know that they're still alive. So they're a living fossil, which is really cool. They're really, really weird and cool. Coelacanths. Oh, cool. Um, Ashley Oki would like to know, I'm a fellow undergrad. How and when did you decide to do science communication? Um, I think a couple years ago, I just was, I, it was right when I was like completely deciding to go into paleontology in college. And I just decided to start an Instagram account and share paleontology related stuff just for fun. And it did like way better than I ever thought it would. Um, and then when I started working at the museum, 
uh, my boss was Amy Atwater, who on Instagram is Mary Anning's Revenge. She's a huge paleontology science communication. She's super awesome. And so she really encouraged me to do more with that. And then also just a few months ago, I got another job at the museum, which is their social media coordinator. So all of this has just kind of combined into, I just really want to, you know, share stuff on social media. I want to like share as much as I can and help people learn. Cause I think it's just such a great way to do it for, cause everyone can look on social media and learn. So I just thought it was a great way to share. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, and if you're looking to get involved in science communication, one piece of advice that I'd give you is just like, just do it. Just try it out. Yeah. Like you don't need to be told to do science communication. Just do it. I think a lot of um, good practice that you can get early is just like, uh, you can kind of find your voice in science communication. You can try things out when your audience isn't huge. The one piece of advice that I'd give you um, before you really dive in is make sure you're very aware of um, like ableist language, unintentionally racist language, or, or intentionally for that matter. Uh, just like all of ways that we can communicate as accessibly as, ever, as possible to everyone and as inclusively as possible. Um, Sometimes like we grow up hearing phrases that we don't even realize are are really not okay And so do that first and then once you've got that under your belt really listen to other people as well and just try it out um, That's that's my advice to you. Okay um, So actually we've been talking now for uh, 42 minutes and we try to keep these sessions to uh, 45 and so um, Let me see if there's any other uh, pressing questions. Let's do, let's do two more just because we started a bit late. Um, the first question is from Gavin. What animals are cl the closest relatives of Triceratops? Hmm. Okay, if we're going to living animals, there's obviously birds, which um, are still dinosaurs. They're avian dinosaurs. However, birds aren't directly descended from dinosaurs like Triceratops. Um, dinosaurs, the Dinosauria, the clade, is divided into two main groups, which is Saurischians and Ornithischians. And Ornithischians are dinosaurs like Triceratops, um, duck-billed dinosaurs, uh, Ankylosaurs, a lot of that sort of thing. And then Saurischians include theropods like T. rex, um, Archaeopteryx, and they also include sauropods, so think Diplodocus or those huge long-necked dinosaurs. So Triceratops is in this group, and on all of the dinosaurs in the Ornithischian group died out when the dinosaurs died out about 66 million years ago. But the dinosaurs that we have today, the birds, descended from the Saurischian group, and they're called avian dinosaurs. So even though we don't have something in the Ornithischian group, the closest thing that we have today to a Triceratops is a chicken, just because uh, they're dinosaurs, yeah. <laughs> Birds are dinosaurs, so true. Yep. All right, and then one last audience question. How do we know what dinosaurs look like when we only have the bones? There are lots of ways to tell. Um, there have, recently, there have been a lot of new ways to tell how dinosaurs look like using computer simulations where you, they would take all the fossils and then, you know, put them together. And on the fossils, sometimes you can see tiny marks where muscles attached, and you can put that in the computer and see how they moved. Uh, in some dinosaurs, we've even found uh, fossiliz fossilized, fossilized skin or imprints of skin. Wow. Um, 
And a lot also, another way that we can tell what dinosaurs looked like is by comparing them to things that we know of today. So um, dinosaurs, I mean, obviously we compare dinosaurs to birds a lot. And now that we have fossilized feathers, we know that they had feathers. Uh, we also compare them to reptiles because they are, even though they are not reptiles, they are very similar. Um, yeah, those are two ways, or a few well, ways. Yeah. So wait, did you just say that dinosaurs are not reptiles? So it's, it's a little bit complicated. Dinosaurs are in the group Reptilia, uh, okay. but they are not actually the reptiles that we think of today. Like dinosaurs are not crocodiles, they're not lizards, um, they're birds. Right. But if you get really technical, birds would also be reptilia. Reptilia. Gotcha, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Obviously reptiles. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, great. Um, all right. So we always ask everybody the same two questions at the end of sessions. The first question is, what do you wish everybody in the world knew about your area, knew like with relation to your area of expertise? And then the second question is, what is something that you wish everybody in the world knew about literally anything? It can be as small and silly or big and insignificant or as insignificant as you'd like. Oh, those are really good questions. Um, I think about paleontology. This is kind of for everyone in the world, but also for people who want to be paleontologists. Um, I'd want them to know that even though paleontology has been around for hundreds of years, it's still, there's still like so much to find out. We still don't know so much. And honestly, in all areas of science. So like, I, I always would get discouraged because I would think there's no more new dinosaurs to find, or there's no more new things to find out about the dinosaurs. But I just want everyone to know that there's always more to find out. And about anything in the world, that's a very hard one. Um, Hmm. <laughs> I think if I wanted everyone in the world to know something, it would be, <laughs> that's such a hard question. I know. <laughs> it is hard. Um, I, I, every time I think of it, I just keep going back to prehistoric creatures because that's all I think about. Um, I would want everyone to know that this is going to be related to paleontology just okay. because it's, it's just okay. a silly thing. <laughs> that horses originally evolved in North America and then completely went extinct. But then uh, when people started rehabitating uh, North America, they brought horses with them. But to a paleontologist way, way in the future, the geologic record is so unexact that they would think that horses never disappeared from North America. Whoa. Because, yeah. That's just, I don't know. Why? Do you know how much time went between the extinction of like the OG horse and when colonizers brought horses over? Uh, I'm not sure of the exact time, but probably about 20,000 years, I okay. have to say. It's really yeah. not that long. Not that long. Yeah. Geologic time. Well. Yeah, geologic time, the blink of an eye. But to us, that's forever. It's a long time. Well, that is 
a very cool fact. That's a great thing for us all to know. That's wild. That's so cool. Okay. You came up with a good answer. Even if it was hard, you got it. All right. So uh, thank you everyone for joining us. I would like to say that if this is your first time coming to Skype a Scientist Live, um, please give us the benefit of the doubt. It's normally not this much of a dumpster fire, but that, Sophia, you did great. Thank you so much for all the information that you told us. Um, normally it goes a little smoother. I normally don't have like a UPS delivery in the middle of it and uh, Lord help us. So Thank you for coming. Um, next week, we are going to be talking about all kinds of cool stuff. We're going to be exploring diversity and in artificial intelligence on June 8th at 1 p.m. On June 9th, we're going to be talking about designing missions to the moon and Mars. Um, on the 10th, we're going to be talking about space fireworks. So basically, these, these events that happen out in space that make it look like there are fireworks happening. Um, and then on Friday, the 12th, we're going to be talking uh, with Riley Black, who has written a lot of really popular uh, pop sci books, um, all talking about how to be a science writer. Um, uh, Riley's written some very awesome books like uh, Skeleton Key, skeleton bones? No, skeleton key. Oh my gosh, I can picture the cover perfectly. And uh, my friend the Brontosaurus, among others. And also has a really fantastic blog. Had a blog on Scientific American for many years. So um, that's gonna be a good one. They're all gonna be good ones. It's gonna be great. So I hope we all see you next week. Um, you can always find out what is going on with Skype a Scientist Live on skypeascientist.com/slash. Uh, well, just look at the live stream bar. Um, I hope you all have a good weekend uh, and continue to uh, fight racism all the time. Have a great weekend.